You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Mike Bagala. Mike Bagala is a master hypnotist, personal empowerment trainer, and business consultant. He specializes in helping people transform their mindsets to make dramatic changes in their lives. He's worked with organizations such as FedEx, Allergan, Medtronic, and the U.S. Army to help them improve their communication, efficiency, and effectiveness. Mike combines his extensive business experience with personal development tools to help people overcome their obstacles and live in alignment with their priorities. In this first segment, the conversation covers topics such as chess, empowerment, linguistics, and comic book superheroes. So, Mike, I, I, I have a question for you. Um, I know Carlos is a little more familiar with your work. Yeah. More, more familiar than I am. So could yeah. you kind of give me just sort of like a, a little nutshell version, kind of what, what's, your, what's your, uh, your angle? I am, I, I'm, a, I'm a trainer, so I'm a public speaker. Okay. And so I lead seminars in terms of personal development. Okay. And also I work one-on-one or with couples to really help them make the changes that they want to make. It's mostly about personal empowerment, about finding inside of you what it is that you have that can resolve whatever issues you think you have. Okay, nice. So, yeah. Nice. And there are, I mean, I know Carlos is very well aware, there are many, many mind techniques, mind hacks, and mindsets, you know, kind of philosophies behind it, that they can be simple things and they can produce ultra-dramatic results. Mike, you're a chess player, right? Right. Cool. So you, you told me a story one time about uh, your early days with chess mm-hmm. and your your uh, sort of first real uh, exploration into hypnosis. And mm-hmm. it was such a great story. I would mm-hmm. love it if you would share it with us again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So, yeah, I, I got into tournament chess. So, you know, there are all kinds of like worlds that, that, that other people don't know about. And one of them is the chess world. And there are guys that like, you know, they, they get together and they have the you know, chess clubs and they do weekend tournaments and, and a lot of people get into it. In fact, I've heard there are more books about chess than any other hobby out there. Right. So, I mean, a lot of these chess players are like real competitive and they get into finding any possible advantage they can. So I was, I was starting to get into tournament chess and I subscribed to this magazine because I was part of the, the Chess Federation is, is Chess Life. So one time I was flipping through the, the magazine and they had this article by a hypnotist who was talking about hypnosis and chess. And what the guy said was that during the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the United States were looking for any way they could possibly get an edge, including mind control experiments. So one of the things they did is both sides actually experimented with what was possible with hypnosis. So the Soviets were really, really big into chess. I mean, that was like their national sport, right? And they were like, they prided themselves. They, 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 they thought that this is proof that communism works because we get the best, most chess players were the smartest, right? <laughs> so 
they did the KGB actually did an experiment where they took the world champion who was living in the Soviet Union, this guy named Mikhail Tal, and they paired him up with, you know, a competitive tournament chess player, but an amateur, right? And they, they had him play games against each other. And of course, of course it was no contest because, you know, this, this guy who's this kind of tournament club level chess player, he's pretty decent compared to your average Joe on the street, but he's no match for the world champion, right? I mean, this is like taking somebody who's a basketball player at the Y who's pretty good, but then have him go one-on-one against LeBron James. I mean, it would kind of be laughable, right? So that's what happened. But then what they did was very interesting. They then took this guy, this club-level player, and they did a series of processes of hypnotizing him at a very deep level to change his identity so that while he was under this deep hypnosis, he actually thought that he was somebody else. It's called deep trans-identification. So this is, this is the power of your identity. Like switching your identity can change your capabilities. He actually thought that he was this guy named Paul Morphy. Now, Paul Morphy was an American who was head and shoulders above anybody else in the 1850s in chess, right? He's an amazing, amazing player that he'd like give pawn, you know, knight rook odds to other people and still whoop everybody. And they said, well, you can't compete with the Europeans. Well, he went on a boat and went over to Europe and beat all the best players. Nobody thought it was possible, but he did it. So they, they hypnotized this guy over a series of events till he really did think that he was Paul Morphy when he's put under this hypnotic spell, right? So then they had him play Tal again. And Tal said, even before he sat down, the difference was obvious. He walked around the place like he owned the place. And then he sat down at the board with a flare and, you know, moved like, you know, this cockiness, right? So they played, and the first game, Tal won again, but he said the difference in this guy's play was immeasurable. So what happened was this guy got angry, the guy who thought he was Paul Morphy, which I thought was an interesting reaction. Okay, before when he, he's beaten by the world champion, it's like, well, I expected that, but, you know, he feels bad about himself because he got crushed so bad, right? Now he's reacting angry. And I thought, wow, you know, if I really did believe that I was the best player in the world and nobody can touch me, and then this guy across from me that I've never met, like, is beating me, it's like, what the hell, right? Maybe I would get angry. So that was like a plausible reaction. So they played again. And again, Tal beat the guy. The world champion beat the guy, but it was still like a really close game. So now they played a third time. And this time, the game, according to this article, was drawn. It was a drawn game. Mm. And I'm thinking, okay, so wait a minute. They took this guy who's this club-level player, and he actually drew against the world champion. That's impossible. But maybe if he's tapping into the deepest level of resources inside himself, who knows, right? So I I thought, I'm going to do something about this. So maybe I was the only person in the country who did this. I don't know. But I got in touch with the author of the article. And I said, do you think that you could hypnotize me to make me a better chess player? He said, yeah, I think we can do that. So I'll tell you what. Let's do this. I'm going to feed you back what you want implanted in your mind, what you want implanted in your subconscious, which that's what hypnosis is about, is implanting the thoughts that you want in your mind so they're second nature. So I sent him all these suggestions that I wanted to be like aware of and thinking when I'm at the chessboard. And then he created this custom-made tape for me to, to listen to. 
and I and I listened to it and I went to this deep, deep state of relaxation. And sure enough, after I, you know, woke up, I'd been playing against my computer, which I did sometimes I'd play against like the highest level, right? And this on like a fast level at the time was like world champion level. And of course, every time I was beaten, but I thought like if I played against this high enough level, maybe some of it'll start rubbing off on me, right? Now, the longest I'd ever lasted against this machine on the highest level was maybe 30 moves. After I did this hypnotic process where I had all these positive suggestions implanted in my brain about being able to see the board like crazy and see everything that was going on, I was playing this thing, and of course, I'm expecting to be beaten and checkmated, but the game's pretty even, and it's going on and lasting longer and longer. And I was even thinking, come on, when are you going to beat me? And the game lasted 72 moves. Wow. Wow. Yeah, a significant difference to say the least. So then I went from there and I went into a tournament and my rating at the time was, it was a little bit under 1,400, I think, you know, like between 1,300, 1,400. And I played like in a division above me because, you know, I wanted that high challenge, right? Now, your rating is like, how good you are to give you some idea the world champ is about 2800 and i was about you know maybe 1400 and i'm playing against this guy who's 1900 he's like way 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 above me so i've got statistically speaking i've got no chance against this guy plus i'm playing on the the black side of the board which means i got to respond to him which is a disadvantage also so i'm playing this guy and he's thinking okay i'm gonna you know beat this weak dude and i i won the game He's like, ah, oh, man, that's you know what what's happening. So yeah, I won that game, and then I played a second game, and this guy was also nineteen hundred, a little bit above nineteen hundred. And again, actually, I'm playing black, and I won that game too. This is like really this impossible. Is awesome. This is this is not supposed to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. People are going, but Gala, what's up with you? What are you doing, right? <laughs> and then so they had me play against this guy who was a master. He was actually a life master, right? Which is even a higher level. And he had been in the past. I was this was in Alabama. He'd been Alabama state champion. So I'm playing him. And at one point in the game, we're playing, and I'm a pawn up. I'm beating him. Then he came back and like he he whooped me. But still it it made an impression on me. It's like, okay, there was something really different here. Now you would have thought that that would have sparked my curiosity to the point where I'm like, I gotta find out what's behind hypnosis. I mean, if it can do this with chess, what else can it do in my life? And it wasn't until many years later that I kind of had that realization of like, hey, maybe there's something to it. I ought to study this deeper, right? <laughs> wow. But it did convince me that I want to point out here that that was a real change. That was a real change. That was a significant change. That wasn't just positive thinking. Because positive thinking is not going to raise your capability at a competitive skill level to way beyond anything you could have done before. It was tapping into something that was a subconscious resource in me that I didn't have access to before. So that taught me that there really are real things out there to get you to perform at a higher level than you ever thought possible. And there are resources out there to bring out the amazing powers that we all have within us. And to me, if you're listening to this and you're a skeptic, that's awesome because skepticism is what that kind of, you know, challenging mindset is what skepticism is about, right? Has produced the kind of dramatic changes that we've had in the last 300 years. We've, we've literally changed the world, right? It's by, by challenging and testing. But if you're really a skeptic, 
that's different from being closed-minded. Closed-minded means I'm not open to new ideas. Skepticism means I want to challenge. So if you want to challenge, then challenge it and experiment this with this stuff with yourself, like things like with hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming and some of these techniques that really can produce lightning-like changes. We are a bunch of open-minded skeptics. Open-minded here, skeptics, so I that's love it. it. Yeah, 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 that's yeah I it. think that's, that's the way to go. Have you fellas heard the expression, it's good to have an open mind, just not so open that your brains fall out? <laughs> I forget who said that, but it's, it's outstanding good. advice. It is. <laughs> it's good advice. Mike, what did yeah. you? I'd like to talk to you about empowerment. Because what's okay. your personal definition? If, if I was just sort of someone, a client or something, and you talked about empowerment, and I said, "Hey, um, what does that really mean? Like, mm-hmm. how would I know if I was empowered?" Or, you know, what's your definition of that? Mm. Yeah, that's that's really a great question. So, when you look at problems in your life where do you look to do you look at in in the 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 negative emotions that you experience for example do you look at that person or that thing is the way that it is and that's wrong and that's terrible and i'm upset about that and this thing out there is causing this problem for me or do you say okay that may well be and it may not be the way that i want it but always, always, always going back to what is it that I can do about it? And maybe the answer is nothing, or maybe the answer is nothing in this moment. But it, and if the answer is nothing in this moment, then just do what you can do in the moment, right? But where, where, does, where does the onus for focus and action go? Does it go to yourself? Hmm. Or does it go to, you know, this person's, you know, being a bastard or this, you know, the government is doing this. Okay. So this is, mm. this is certainly a big, big part of empowerment is, well, you think about that. If your focus, to the extent that your focus is on the external world that you can't control and the way that things shouldn't be, then where is your power? It is outside yourself and you, by definition, are disempowered. Hmm. But if you're focusing on what can I do in this situation or... You know, maybe even in ways that I'm not aware of, how have I contributed to this? Not to blame, but to take responsibility and then say, okay, if that's really the case, then maybe there's some internal stuff that I can shift, which then gets rid of the problem. That, now, the, to the degree that you do that and focus in on what you can do, then you are empowered. So a great question, I think, for anybody to ask themselves is, how much are you in charge of your own life? How much do you feel in charge of your own life? How much of your life is a reflection of your own choices, right? Is a reflection of your own agenda. Do empowered people have problems or does... Of course. Do problems fall away when you of have Of course, problems? of course, yeah. A- abs- absolutely, absolutely. Problems are a sign of life. Problems mean you're alive. Oh, good. I'm going to live a while. Thank goodness, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. There you go. So you're... There we go. Oh, thank God. I'll give you an example here. Actually, I knew a guy who, he had some problems because he didn't have any money, right? So he and his brother got together 
and they started up a pharmaceutical company. And they were, they were very, very resourceful, very empowered. So they did things like, you know, whether or not, I guess the ethics of this may be questionable, but it's certainly very resourceful. They, they were looking to get money from investors. And so what they did was they, they made themselves look a lot bigger and more successful than they were. And they, they rented out an office space for, or I think they went to a building that was just like empty and they rented a bunch of office equipment and they brought in a bunch of office equipment and hired like people off the streets to act like they're employees and stuff like that. And lo and behold, it worked and they got the loan, they got the investment and they grew the company up and they sold it and they each got $175 million from it. Wow. So problem solved, right? Sort of. And then his problem was, Whereas before, when he was building the company, he was like so engaged in like every day had stress, but it had meaning and a purpose, it had motivation, right? He was driven to get out of bed. Then he was like, after a couple of months of celebrating, he actually was in this mindset of like, it doesn't matter if I get up or not now. And he looked at everybody and he said, everybody that I look at, I think they just see a big dollar sign on my forehead because they're thinking, how can I get money out of this guy? And I don't trust anybody and I've got no purpose now. So now that's one hmm. example of how problems never go away. They just change. Because what you do is, is when you grow externally or internally, you get into a new world where you get like this new level of resistance that you're bumping up against because you've expanded what you're capable of, but you got new problems. And that's great too because maybe they really are the problems that you need to face to grow to the next level. So can you can you learn to love them? Can you learn to love those problems oh, and look forward a, to that, them? That is a great question, know. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. that, that's it. That's a great question. You know, well, sure. Why not? Why not? You know, what would happen if every time you looked at a problem, you said, "How can I love this?" Sure. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd be in love all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's always problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. How can I love this? What's great about this? How, what's funny about this? Or how can I make the solution of this fun? That's a good question. You yeah, know, and you just great. start asking yourself yeah. these questions enough, and eventually what happens is anything you, do become, anything you do enough, especially with emotion, becomes habitual. So... Mm-hmm. Okay. How so, can I make the solution fun is a great that's thing. Wonderful. I think that's a I great that. takeaway right there. Yeah. Yeah. So just continuously asking yourself quest, these kind of questions will make it so that it happens naturally. Very nice. Yeah. Very you know, nice. I, I mentioned this in, in Life Purpose Mastery. We do a section on emotional mastery because that's so critical. I mean, emotions, mm. if you think about it, emotions are the quality of your life. When people say, hey, I want to have a high quality, and everybody, whatever, everybody has different passions, everybody has different personalities, desires, but everybody does really desire to have a great quality of life, right? Yeah. What does that mean? That means moment by moment, day by day, you're mostly in a state of great positive and often empowered emotions. That's what a great quality of life is, right? So that's one aspect of why emotional mastery is so important. The other is that it's about effectiveness. The more you master your emotions, the more you can get yourself to do the things that you want to do to produce the results that you want to have. So it's, it's an overlooked, and to me, I think it, it may well be, probably is, the most important skill that you can develop and what's incredible is most people don't even think of that as a skill. And if you don't think about it as a skill, then you'll never develop it. But if you just start to think about your emotional mastery as a skill, then you can start to develop this all 
almost omnipotent skill, right? So anyway, so what I mentioned was I worked a lot on doing kind of these techniques and processes of emotional mastery. And part of that is by asking yourself empowering questions whenever problems come up, just like we talked about. Okay. And so I would do this over and over and over and over again and kind of give myself this challenge of going 10 days without ever feeling any negative disempowering emotion for any more than two minutes, right? It's a big challenge. And I did it over and over and over again until I remember once I wasn't even like on my challenge. I wasn't even like consciously trying to do it. And something happened where like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. And then automatically, automatically without me consciously trying to do it, I had this thought, okay, what's great about this? You know, what is it they <laughs> really great. want? How could I? And I'm like, okay. And it, I was like, wow, now this happens like a knee jerk reaction. <laughs> that's awesome. Right? And that's, to me, that's really what you want in any kind of personal development change is that. The, the key is, do you have to think about it, which is great because it's, you're on your way to doing it, or does it happen naturally and you catch yourself doing it? Hmm. And when you start catching yourself doing it, then you've changed it from like a, something that you're conditioning to yourself to where it is just habitual and you're running it on autopilot. That's great. What's great about this? What's great about this? Great question to ask. Mike, I, I'm hearing a little accent in your voice. So yeah. where, where is that from? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from America, baby. <laughs> I'm from, I'm from, because... America. Uh, America. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm from all over. This is, I'm sure, a big part of, uh, you know, kind of my, my upbringing and kind of formation, too, is that I was born in New Jersey. Before I was three years old, we moved to cross-country to Huntington Beach, California. Then when I was about six, we moved to Texas, and then I went to junior high and a little bit of high school in Pennsylvania, and then finished up high school in Alabama, and then went back to Texas, and I've been an exchange student to Venezuela and Costa Rica, and just, you know, so I've, I've lived all over the place and moved a lot, and... You're bilingual or trilingual? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I speak Spanish. Nice. And I speak a little bit of Portuguese. Nice. So, yeah. And I, I, just, I just love languages. I think it's fun. I think languages are just plain fun. So, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've grown up all over, and I think that's, you know, kind of made me be more open to new experiences, new adventures, and new people. But not so open that your brains fall out. But hopefully not so open that my brains fall out. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Is Spanish just sure. as optimistic as English? Ooh, very, very interesting. Spanish just is optimistic. You know, okay, so here is my own take on that. I don't know about optimistic, but I would say the language itself. Do you speak Spanish, Carlos? Not really, no. I, not, not I know really. okay. a, a few phrases okay. and things like that, okay. but that's it. Yeah. You, you still might know enough to, to know this. A lot of the verbs in Spanish are reflexive, which means that, it's kind of said in the way of it happened to me, which is more of disempowering language. Oh, that's very interesting. So yeah. the language itself, from my perspective of Spanish, is a, a lot of that because these reflexive verbs are, are, is more of a disempowering language, which would cause people to think in a more disempowering way. What's an example in English? Okay. So like, 
so like if if you were I, I was you know what's coming to mind right now is is that my sister I mean my brother married a, a woman from Venezuela and so like somebody she was working she was knitting something or you know we're sewing something and somebody and my brother said how do you say the button fell off and so I said it in Spanish and and really the translation would be the button fell off itself to me something like that huh so you it it's more like that it happened to me and yeah even like with a lot of emotions it's it's happening to me rather than i did this so ang- anger is happening to me rather than yeah I'm, like anger is happening you know yeah i feel anger yeah right right that is very and, different right i mean i hmm, feel anger yeah. versus absolutely anger absolutely. is happening well to and, me. and we do we, we use disempowering language in english too where we say things like he makes me so mad that's putting the oh, cause yeah, outside right. ourselves or to right. say i am mad i am mad now you're making an identity statement yeah this is fun to watch two neurolinguistic programming guys <laughs> talk about language. This is great. It, yeah. You know, my take on it is it does influence your thinking. Because, I mean, like, you know, 1984, that, that the book by George Orwell, the idea, the part of the idea where there was like the government was forming this new language to make it impossible to think through language about notions like freedom that we have today. Yeah. Right? And so... You can control your thinking a lot through language. So what, oh, I mean, so this is like how I try to use that. For example, if somebody says, hey, can you come out to such and such a party or something like that? What a lot of people say, and the tendency is to say, oh, I can't because I've got this other thing. Okay. And that's very polite because you're saying, I want to, and I would love to. It's not my responsibility. It's not my take, but this other thing is forcing me to do that. But actually, when you say it that way, it's, it's more disempowering. It, it, well, it is disempowering. It is. It's saying this other event has control over me. So what I like to say, is, and remind myself to say this, is if somebody says, hey, can you come out to this party or whatever, I could say, oh, man, that's, I, I, look, I totally appreciate you inviting me. I've got this other obligation that day. You know, I've, got this, I've, I've got this other commitment that I made. Mm. Right? Yeah. Now I'm putting myself at cause and it's my decision. You may look at this and say, yeah, oh, come that. on, that's just semantics. You know what that's it is, great. though? It is training your brain in language to remind yourself that you are at cause for your decisions, which I, I mean, I really do think makes a difference. It does. I mean, what you said earlier, I can't. I mean, you're identifying with being incapable. That's exactly. your identity you're is saying I'm you're not capable. Exactly. Yeah, you say, yeah. I can't do that because what yeah. you're saying is I'm living at effect of this other thing. Yep. Do you think on a subconscious level, because are people even aware when they say that what the meaning behind that is, how powerful that statement is? Are they aware of what they're doing to their subconscious, that they're reinforcing in their subconscious, I'm not in control, I'm not empowered? People leave a lot of power on the table, don't you yeah, think? For sure. Mm. Without realizing it. For sure. They walk right away from it, not realizing that they've left all this stuff that they could be using. For sure. For yeah. sure. These little kind of mind tricks really do make a difference because what they do is they start to shift your thinking imperceptibly at first. But then if you continue doing that, that little bit of a shift starts to change your thinking, which changing your thinking is going to change everything. Changes everything. So that literally little, little changes like this start to make a shift in the way you think, which becomes who you are, which makes you have a different, totally different life, say five, ten years down the road. 
This is, you know, what you said reminds me of uh, that very famous and very powerful Buddhist mm. concept, which is that mind is the precursor of all phenomena. Sure. <sighs> yeah. All phenomena. Yeah. You know, that, that uh, it does start in your mind. Yeah. Everything starts in your mind. You know, it's it's, it's pretty pretty powerful reminder. Mike, who were your role models growing up? I, I mentioned I was really. Into the into the stars and the cosmos. So like, so Carl Sagan was a big was was a big hero to me. I love billions his, and billions, billions and billions. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So Isaac Asimov would you know also be a, a science writer, and and I was, uh, yeah, I, I thought he was amazing. I was also into like as as a kid, I was also big time into Superman. You know, Christopher Reeves and Superman movie and all that. That was that was really awesome and. You know, I, I think these role models, actually, this is something that, that we teach, too. It, it really does affect you growing up because it, it is a reflection of your values, and then it forms your values. You know, you, depending on what your values are, you take on different heroes and role models, and then they help to shape you as well because you kind of model yourself after them. And so, like, I've thought before, well, you know, I, I, I got, actually got a degree in physics thinking that I wanted to make a career out of that. And then I realized that I definitely don't want to make a career out of that. So am I like, you know, Carl Sagan growing up? Well, on the surface, no way. But, you know, kind of deeper, I mean, really what I did was I, I went from thinking like the last frontier, the final frontier was, was space to thinking it's, it's really the human mind. And that's the most fascinating thing out there. I'm mm. like, like, I mean, to me, working one-on-one with somebody and delving into what is really behind their behavior that they never realized and getting to have this, like, huge aha, uh-huh, it's, it's amazing, amazing stuff. So I think that's kind of like that kind of, you know, science part of me, geek part of me coming out. Mm. And then as far as Superman, there definitely is a part of me that wants to save the world, you know, and, <laughs> and, and do what's right, so... Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, these, it, a great question, by the way, if you want to get to know somebody even better, even if it's somebody that you've been living with for the past 40 years, is ask somebody, who were you, who was your role model as a little boy or a little girl? And that person's answer will start to give you an insight into them and they'll, you, that, that you hadn't had before. It's, it's a great question. So mine was Kwai Chang Kane from Kung Fu. Oh, is that right? Okay. So, interesting. So, Satch, then how... Was it, what's the guy's name again? Uh, Kwai Chang Chung? Kwai Chang Kane from Kwai Kung, Chang the TV Kane. show Kung Fu. Okay, uh, well, oh, I remember that. David Carradine, yeah, okay, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that show. That was a fun show. Okay, so what was it about him that you admired, first of all? What did you admire about him? He was wise. He was wise. He was wise. Oh. He, he had answers. Even if he didn't have them, he could find them. What else did you admire about him? He could fight. He had he he, yeah. he, he did kung fu. You know, I admired yeah. that too. Uh-huh. You know, he was yeah. wise. He could also fight when he had to. Right? That's right. That's uh-huh. right. He needed yeah. to. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. But he was peaceful. He was a peaceful guy, but he yeah. could still fight. He could. And he, he knew to. he had the wisdom, yeah. maybe to know when to use which. Correct. So, let me ask you now: How are you like him, that character, and how are you unlike him today as an adult? 
Very interesting. You know what I'd like to try? Yeah. Is I'd like to ask Carlos, because Carlos knows me very well. How am I like Kwai Chang Kane? Well, I mean, you. I thought you were talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Well, there um, you go, Mike. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, you're quiet, wise. Uh, mm. You are peaceful, mm. soft-spoken. You do martial arts, mm. and you can really defend yourself, because you've been doing it a long time. Mm. Um, you are mindful the way the character Kwai Chang Kane was. Okay. Um, okay. He had a humility to him that I think that you share. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he um, had a, an appreciation for each new experience that he got into in the show, like each each new scenario as he wandered across the United States in search of his uh, half brother or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he encountered all sorts of things, like Indians and you know, different kinds of people and Chinese uh, workers on the railroad. I mean, yeah. he encountered all that stuff and he sort of wandered and made himself at home with all these new experiences. I see you like that. Okay, I see cool. you as a person who can go and have a new experience and be an observer, but at the same time have kind of a, a, a gentle, um, warm appreciation of, of the people that you're interacting with uh, mm-hmm. without having to, you know, um, force your way or you know, insinuate your way. You just go into it with a sort of peacefulness to you. Oh, so I, I think there's a lot nice. in common. Well, yeah, thank absolutely. you. That's good. I guess, awesome. I guess, well, you, you had asked the second part of the question, which uh-huh. was, how am I not like him? Is that yes. what you asked? Uh-huh. Yeah. He had an unshakable confidence in himself. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't quite have, I haven't quite mm. got that yet. Is that you know important I mean? to you? Yeah, I think it is. So it's still influential it's some, to you? Yeah, it is. It's something uh-huh. I'd still like to have. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, <laughs> you know, I just met you tonight. Yeah. And already after that, after this discussion, I feel like I know you decently well. Okay. You know? Nice. Let's do Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos. So who, who were you when you were 10? Who were your role models? Dr. Strange. Mm. What did you admire about Dr. Strange? He was the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh-huh. You know, he was awesome. Yeah. He, uh, he was coming from a Western perspective and became immersed in deep... Eastern philosophy and and uh, self discovery, and he uncovered mm. a lot of um, mysteries about the universe through mm. this um, exposure to these Eastern ideas. You know, he had a, yeah, he you, had a you're master. not like this at all. Yeah, oh, no, no relation. Totally. Oh, no relation. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he took care of himself. You know, he had a um, a servant who um, who served him very loyally, and when it was time to do martial arts training his servant would beat his ass, like basically, you know, attack him and, and train him so that he would stay fit. Uh, so he, he was a master, but he was always learning how to be better at what he was doing. So he's right. a, a cool, it's a cool image, you know? So I've got a question. So you talked about how he had the servant who would go after him and kick his ass and keep him sharp, right? Right. Like a Cato, but not, not the comedic form. Right. Okay. Is that at all a metaphor for your life? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it may be worth asking that. Yeah, I mean, I could see that um, there's a part of me that gets sucked into and absorbed in, in cognitive and mental stuff, and then I have to pull myself out and be disciplined and kick my own mm-hmm. ass to go running in the hills mm-hmm. or practice martial arts or go lift weights or whatever it is I do. Um, and, if, and, and it's very different sides of me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not integrated in the same way. So I create 
artificial integration by forcing myself or let's say creating strong impetus so that I have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I guess yeah. that's, that's a, that's a connection I hadn't really quite made before. And, yeah. and I don't know, but it may be possible then with that kind of a, you know, metaphor that, but that is a metaphor, you kind of this, this model to follow mm-hmm. that, I mean, and that's all about, you know, growth and getting wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which is definitely your model, right? And then also, if you're going to follow that model of Dr. Strange, you may subconsciously then look for these external challenges to beat your ass to make yourself strong. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, now that you say it, um, I've said uh, many times over the past few years that um, I love getting difficult Mm-hmm. challenges when it comes to clients. I don't mean that mm, I enjoy okay. uh-huh. when they're emotionally difficult mm-hmm. with me, like they're you know not ready to change or anything like that. What I mean is I love when I get a, a bizarre circumstance sure. where someone's coming to me with something I haven't heard of before, sure. or, or I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to sure. apply the tools to it because then it's an opportunity for me to to step it up and do a little research and really apply new patterns to it. And I And I guess that's an example of that. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I totally can see all that. Yeah, Doctor so, Strange likes strange things. Yeah, he does. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Exactly. And you can see how that's different from somebody who had this idea of like, you know, I'm just gonna expand this business for as fast as it, as I can go. It's a very, very mm-hmm. different kind of mental. Mm-hmm. It, we, we, we talked about how it all starts with your thoughts. And here's a concrete example. Somebody who goes in with this mental model of kind of the world's the, the world is like the comic book of Doctor Strange. You know, I mean, this is not going to be conscious, but subconsciously. And I'm like this, char- like this Doctor Strange character in it. Is going to build a very different kind of business and want to have and seek out different kinds of clients from somebody who says, you know, my role model is, for example, Donald Trump or something like that. Huh. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and this, th- so these are just thoughts, but thoughts will produce tremendously different lives. Mm-hmm. So... And how are you like Dr. Strange, and how are you not like him? Satch, what do you think? Um, I can give you the same answer you gave me with Kwai Chang Kane. It's like, you, huh. you are very, very much like Dr. Strange. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I'm just looking around the room, and I'm looking at Oliver's smile over there. and I'm, You know what I mean? Because, like, we know you, and uh-huh. uh, you are the shaman of the group. Uh-huh. You know, you are the wizard. Uh-huh. You know, that is you. You are a martial artist, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, Doctor Strange was a v- very powerful individual, right? You are one of the most powerful individuals I know. Mm-hmm. I-, I felt that way about you when we were, you know, thirteen and fourteen, and you know, at those ages. You you always had that that sort of archetype about you of that mm-hmm. that um, strong, wise, um, uh, spiritual leader in a way. You've always had that, and you still have it today. Um, so you are very much like Dr. Strange, you know, you, huh. you, you described him as the Westerner who started, started to look towards the East and get into the, the Eastern, you know, philosophies and, and that's you, you know, <laughs> um, I grew up as a kid, um, very much influenced by Eastern thought, right. But not so much by Western thought, but not you, mm-hmm. you're the guy who can talk all about the Western aspect of shamanism and the western aspect of of philosophies and and that's always blown me away i'm like how does carlos know about all these greek and you know you know all these fairy tales and you know all this stuff you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and uh, i don't know how you know both 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I could I could <laughs> barely get my head around one, and then you, you you've embraced both. It's right. it's exactly what Doctor Strange was. You know, you're very very much like him. Um, so I guess we should talk about how you're not like him. I don't know as much as Doctor Strange. I mean, Doctor okay. Strange is is way more learned and skilled in in you know ancient languages and um you know he he's just got this sort of um connection to uh wisdom that goes even beyond his lifetime because it was transmitted mm. through him to mm-hmm. um from his master uh so i would say that i i seek that sure you know that that model of being able to to find that switch inside where i could tap into um, you know, a flow of wisdom that goes beyond me. Definitely, I see that. And Doctor Strange is a comic book character, so yeah. you know, it's like saying I'm not as powerful as him. <laughs> that's kind a of good a, point. A lofty a goal, point. but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's good that you have this lofty goal that you keep going for. Right? I guess we could say we're yeah. more powerful. We could just tear the comic book in half. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's right. You can. That's true. We can close it. Real. Yeah. You know, he's such a two dimensional character. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Just saying. That's right. Just saying. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Next up, Life Purpose Mastery with Mike Begala. Life Purpose Mastery. Yeah. I would love for you to talk about that in more depth. What is that? I mean, what is life yeah. purpose mastery? What's that all about? It's, it's it's a lot of fun is what it is. And I know, like you said, you took the course and you were just a great, great student in that class. Oh. It was so much fun to have you in that class because you came in there with the attitude of just like, okay, I'm just going to open my mind <laughs> and maybe my brains will fall out, but you know what? <laughs> but I'm going to be ready for anything and, and just ride this for all it's worth, which is exactly what you want to do. What it is about... So we were talking about what is empowerment. And we were talking about how empowerment is seeing yourself as the source of your power, right? As opposed to the external world over which you don't have control and focusing on that. So what would be the ultimate in empowering yourself? Not just yourself, but, you know, your life. That would be taking this idea of empowerment and the ability to make decisions and putting that on a grand scale in terms of what is this all about? What, what am I all about? And what is my life going to be all about? And so deciding that, forming that, designing that, and then scaling that big picture down into day-to-day practicalities. And then, then that, that to me really is the ultimate empowerment. Because I asked earlier about, in terms of empowerment, how much, are you, how much of your, your daily day-to-day life is really of your own choice? Are you living at somebody else's agenda? Or, which we all do to some extent. We all do to some extent, right? But by and large, how much of your life is representing the, the agenda, the mission that you want to, live and create what's really important to you as opposed to living out somebody else's life. You know, so like Steve Jobs in his commencement address, which if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think it's 2005 Stanford commencement address. So he gets up there 
and he talks about, one of the things he says is that don't waste a minute living somebody else's life, hmm. which made, uh, d- definitely made an impression on me, and also something else that I share in the, the, that we talk about a lot in the class is this made a definite impression on me. I read an article that was written by a woman named Bronnie Ware, who has worked in hospice for many years in Australia. And so she works with people who are, you know, realize that these are some of their last days of their life. And she very bravely over the course of years, I think this takes some guts to do this because this is potentially confrontational, but she would ask these people, what do you regret most in life? Looking back on your life from this unique perspective that you have, knowing that it is for those people coming to an end, what do you regret most in life? And she cataloged the top five answers. Do you know, I know Carlos does because he's taking the class. Do you know what the number one answer is? I'd love to hear. Most people would suspect it was something like, you know, I didn't spend enough time with my loved ones or I wish I hadn't worked so much or whatever it is. And and those answers were up there. Mm -hmm. But the number one answer I think is very revealing. It was the number one regret was I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself rather than what other people expected of me. That's really powerful. If you were to somehow find out, like if, if these were, say, the last you know, five minutes of your life right now, would that be something that you would think about? It? Like, man, I wish I'd lived my own life rather than what other people expected me to do. So what would that look like if you took that to the nth degree and empowered yourself completely, where you said... I'm going to design, I'm going to decide and design what it is that my life is about and what I'm about so that I create myself from the ground up or recreate myself. And if I can know what my values and my beliefs are and, 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 and decide what my identity is and based on what my inner conscience is telling me that it's all about and design a life from the ground up about that and, and make it in a way so it's not just like really abstract and airy-fairy, but it's like day-to-day. It's like I know what my... My, my schedule reflects my priorities. My time reflects my priorities. And my priorities reflect wh- who I am and I, who I'm becoming and what my life is about so that I'm true to myself so that when I come to the end of it, I damn won't sure say that I wish I'd had the courage. Instead, I'll say, thank God Almighty that I had the courage to do what was right for me, what I know is right in my heart, and I live my life. That's what the class is about. Wow. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, kind of the, the tagline for it is the practical course. And I like that. It's practical, mm-hmm. right? This is not just philosophy. It is certainly philosophical, but it's practical. The practical course in fulfilling your purpose, your life's purpose, and becoming your ultimate self. So that, that's, and, and we bring it down on a day-to-day level so that the actions that you take, the way that you spend your time, and your environment, the people that you surround yourself with and the things that you're doing, it's all in alignment. And actually, we're talking about personal development tonight. If I had one secret to give in terms of personal development, the secret is alignment. The secret is alignment. When you're totally aligned from top to bottom, when your soul and your, your emotions and your heart and your mind and the way that you spend your time and your friends is all in alignment, then your problems are of a different sort, right? Your problems really are about opportunity and growth. And 
you can get yourself to follow through on the things that you want to because you, you don't have this internal struggle, you have alignment instead. So really virtually anybody's internal problem is really a problem of lack of alignment. If a person's a smoker and they don't want to be, that's a lack of alignment. If you're overweight or out of shape, that's a lack of alignment. Or otherwise you'd be at least on the path to getting there, right? There'd be congruence there in your actions and the way that you feel. If you don't have money in the bank, you may say, oh, my problem is not internal, it's external, there's no money in the bank. Well, that's true, and the only reason that that exists is because what created it, what's going on on the inside. And there's some lack of alignment there between what you want and what you're producing. So alignment on a big scale is the solution to virtually everything. And so life purpose mastery really is alignment on the most important highest level issues. It's a fun, fascinating adventure. I really enjoyed the process with you um, because, you know, you spent enough time on each of the pieces that I felt like there was a chance to really ask about it, to mm-hmm. interact about it, to get people's ideas about it. And to mm-hmm. and, and that interaction that you created in the class, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, the thanks. stuff you were delivering from the front of the room was, mm-hmm. was really awesome, mm-hmm. but the way you were facilitating all of us to think about yes. it was even more awesome because... Yes. You know, it's like you were Socratically getting us yes. to, um, you know, awaken our own curiosity around each of the pieces and explore it. And, um, you know, if there are areas that we weren't um, sure about or areas that we were feeling fuzzy about, didn't yeah. know how to answer the question, you were good at asking the right kinds of questions to help us zero in oh, on you. what the answer was. Yeah. I really like that. And then hearing other people's answers, sometimes stimulated answers sure. within. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, you're forming that connection. Oh, I can see, I can resonate with that experience. And it deepened the experience because we had this uh, sort of cozy connection of people seeking and, and you were doing a great job of keeping us on track and, you know, moving forward, but not too quickly, mm, like where nice. we, we could s- let things sink in Yeah. and loved all the examples you gave and the stories that you, you chose to connect with the material. It was really, really a well-done class. Oh, thank you. And I love that you broke it apart into, you know, like um, where you gave us some time in between the first part and the second part uh, to do some integration and and things. And yeah, yeah, I just loved it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, When I first thought of this class, I was like, okay, so to do all this is going to take about six days. There's a lot of stuff. (laughs) And then I thought, Six days. If we did this six days in a row, it would fry people's brains. So I thought, I got to split this up. It's just because the idea is to make the most transformational class possible. So you said earlier, you said, this is the practical class in knowing yourself and living your life on purpose. Is that right? The practical course in fulfilling your purpose, your life's purpose, Ah. and becoming your ultimate self. So it's your purpose first and then your identity of who you are to support that purpose. So maybe uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing um, you know, a couple of uh, yeah. points. Uh, you, you said it starts with purpose. So, yeah. 
So what are we picturing here? I mean, for the listener who hasn't done this class and maybe may know nothing about that, what, what's that derived from? And, and is there kind of like a pattern or a structure to yeah. how you go about teaching the, the lessons? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very much so. So at the bottom of the pyramid is your environment. I think your environment actually is underrated in just how important that is. Because, you know, people, I give this example of it, people will act very, very differently, say, at the Super Bowl or at Mardi Gras versus at the Sistine Chapel, Hmm. right? And do they need to be told to act differently? They need to have signs and have people informing them. Almost never. People naturally take cues from their environment, and they, they know in this environment I'm supposed to act this way, right? Your environment is enormously influential with you. So that's why, then a lot, and people know this, right? They know that, that if they want to lose a bunch of weight, that a great thing to do is to go into your cupboards in, in your refrigerator and throw out all the stuff that you shouldn't be eating, hmm. right? Because then your environment's different. You can still go to the grocery store and get that stuff, and maybe, you know, people might do that if they're craving strong enough. But if you put this barrier in the way, how much more likely are you to follow through, right? I mean, if you want to work out, for example, how much easier is it to work out once you make it to the gym versus when you're at home, right? Environment is, is super, super important. So the question then becomes, how can you create your environment which supports what you want to, the kind of life that you want to live? So what's even more important than your environment, because it is internal, are your behaviors. So we said earlier that your thoughts lead to your behaviors, your behaviors done consistently lead to habits. And then what's great about that is then habits become self-sustaining. They become your character. They become where you're headed in life. It becomes your destiny, right? So your behaviors really are everything because they determine what kind of life you're living and what kind of life you're going to live. But what's behind your behaviors? You know, there, there is a deeper level than that. So what is behind even more important than your behaviors is your capabilities, so what skills, what capabilities do you have that are both innate, that you're born with, and those that you've developed? And what behaviors and skills can you develop that will, that, that will really ultimately help you to live your purpose, right, is, is the question. So we go through processes in this class about, about how to create the environment that you want to support of, how to create the behaviors that are supportive, and, and also then how to rapidly gain skills in terms of your skill development. And that's when we talk about what may be your most important skill, which is emotional mastery. That's in this mm-hmm. capabilities level. So what's more, even more important than your capabilities, though, is your beliefs. Because, say, if it's important for, give an example, say if, if you believe that it was really important for you to develop the skill of being a great public speaker, or maybe very persuasive in, in sales or otherwise, that's, that's a skill that can be learned and developed. But if you don't have the belief that you're capable of doing that, you'll never take those actions to do it. I said earlier that I think emotional mastery may be the most important skill, but if you don't have the belief that it's a skill, you'll never take actions to develop that skill. It's right? true. Yeah. So your beliefs are super important beliefs about yourself and about other people and the way the world is, and it determines the way you see the world, and, that, and therefore then the actions that you take. It's your thoughts, right, behind your actions. But there's an even more important level than that. What? Can you believe it? (laughs) And that is that it's your values. So your values are, we talked a little bit about values when we talked about role models. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when you talk about your role model, what do you admire in this role model? Whatever answers you gave, those are probably your values. Those are probably things that are valuable to you in life, right? That's important to you in life, that, you know, like gaining wisdom and in, in being at peace, but still being able to defend yourself too, right? And having wisdom. Totally. These, these are values yeah. for you. This is totally. important to you. Yeah. 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 So knowing what is important to you, and this is at an unconscious level, that people aren't so consciously aware of this, but yet it's driving every behavior, every decision, every action that you take. So it's super important to get aware of this. And then, on an even deeper level, to be able to decide, is this value serving me, or should I make a shift? Let me tell you what, if you shift some of your top values, changes who you are, changes your life. Oh, yeah. So we had some people in this class, like, uh, so we, we had, uh, you know, for example, a, a guy came into the class named Andres, and he decided to make health his number one value. And so I talked to him. I actually had some concerns about making that the number one value and in, in how that may affect other things. If you're going to make it your number one value, it's going to change everything. But he was adamant. So I was like, okay, you know what? This class is all about supporting you and what you want to do. He made health his number one value, and it changed, it changed who he is. It changed who he is. Then the next class he came in, he had all these like herbs delivered to class, and he's changing the way, <laughs> totally radically changes the way he eats, and even like the feelings he has, because that's part of your health too, and like the way he exercises and lives, it changed everything, right? Which in, as a result changes energy level and changes everything. So that's just like one, one example. But your uh, values is critical as they are, because it's what's important to you. It's, it's, you could say that's virtually everything, right? Because values determine how you feel about things, and the way you spend your time. There's a level that's even more important than your values. No way. I don't believe Can it. You believe it? <laughs> I do not believe it. And that is who you are, who you see yourself as. Because who you see yourself as is going to then determine what is important to you. So are you an adventurous person? Is that part of your identity of who you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as a capable person, a smart person, or... You know, or do you see yourself as a person who is more shy or reserved or afraid? These identities that we have for ourselves form the self-image that we have, which then is going to determine what we're willing to do or not do. And that's the reason why a lot of people make changes on a lower level like their environment or their behaviors. And then eventually they go right back to where they were. Because their identity hasn't shifted. If your identity hasn't shifted, you will always go back to the way that you see yourself. Because you, there's a, a force that we have to be congruent with the way that we see ourselves. Wow. So how do you see wow. yourself, right? And the thing is, we talked about being empowered and being at choice. You are at choice for the identity that you have. You can decide who you are. Most yeah. people don't know that. That's and neat. most people don't that's even neat. know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really like the secret behind John F. Kennedy, that he decided who he was going to be, and he became the person who eventually became the president. And the, this is not well known, but when he gave his inaugural address, he was so nervous that he had bitten his fingernails to the point where they were bleeding. Wow. He'd not fully grown into his identity. But then after, you know, going through the fire of, of the... the um, Cuban Missile Crisis, or, or like the Bay of Pigs and Cuban Missile Crisis, he became the president. So he really embodied mm. that, and it, it changed who he was, right? 
Archibald Leach had this this great quote. He said, I decided who I wanted to be, and I became him, or he became me. So he totally was not kind of this, like, you know, kind of quirky, sophisticated, learned guy. He decided that he wanted to be that person, and he became him. And he did. And you can decide who you want to be. Just think what, what an extraordinary gift that is to realize that. And that we can make ourselves be who we want to be, right? That's not being fake either, by the way. That's being empowered. And some people then stop there and say that's the ultimate because who we are is, is the ultimate force of who we are, right? But I would say, I would agree with some people who say there, there is a higher level still. And that is your purpose. What it is, what, what is, what is life all about for you? What, what is life about for you? What, it is, what do you see yourself being brought on the earth for? If there were some reason that you were brought here on the earth, what would that be? And when you really get that in your heart and soul, I think that that could be the secret to being that, that, that all the people that are you know, really like the most powerful, influential, and alive people in the world, they have this strong sense of purpose. And your purpose is strong enough that if you really do have a strong enough purpose, it will mold your identity. Gosh, just what you said in the last few minutes is gold. I mean, just mm-hmm. to know that that pattern you talked about... yeah could be just absolutely revelatory, just, just thinking about it. Even, even though I've, I've taken the class and I'm thinking yeah. about it, and um, if I hadn't known about it, either way, knowing about it, not knowing about it, that's a lot. It is a what lot, What you just said it? is mm-hmm. like a meta pattern for human beings and understanding why we experience what we experience. Yeah. God, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. It is. It is, yeah. And I have to say so, that... that um, it's informed my coaching ever since. Oh, awesome. I use the seven levels, seven layers yeah. in my thinking process when I'm helping new clients, yeah. particularly when they first come in because... What level um, are they really working at? What yeah. level do they, are they asking for help on? Yep. And what level do they really need help on? Yep. Yeah. Could you just, um, just very briefly, could yeah. you just say the seven? Yes. Just, okay, that'd be helpful. Yeah, Absolutely. Like, I'd just love okay. to hear that. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. So it's environment, behavior, capabilities... Beliefs, values, identity, and purpose. Mike, um, what, what kind of people come to this class? I mean, yeah, everybody in this room obviously would that's be at that question. class, right? Yeah, because we're, yeah. we're philosophical types. But, yeah. but like in general, what would you say? Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's I, drawn to it? I, I have seen so far, I've really, really loved the people that have come to the class. <laughs> it's worked out so well <laughs> because we've had people, you know, like you, Carlos, they're ready to just absorb this stuff. And just give me more, let's do this. It's You know what it is? It's people who are ready for a change. 
and it's people that are willing to look inside themselves for mm. that change. Hmm. People are, are ready to take some of these deep questions and take them on, that they have, they have maybe like some big dreams in their life, or they feel lost in terms of like somewhere inside them, they know they should have some big dreams, but they, they're just not feeling it, right? And so they kind of lost that sense of, of drive, and this is a way to get in touch with that. I actually just got through earlier today doing a coaching session with a woman who asked me to work with her one-on-one to even further instill these principles in this class. And it's, it's really, really extraordinary because at the end of the call, I told her, I said, I, I, I want to tell you something. I really want you to take this in. I really want you to listen to what I'm about to say and really take this in. And I said, you are truly becoming who you want to be. Because these things that you're telling me, you are ingraining what, you're, what you want to do on a deep level. So you, you're like catching yourself doing it, like we talked about earlier. She's catching herself. Like one of the things she's wanting to do is, is to have peace, like a deep, deep level of inner peace, be her core emotion. So that's kind of like home base that she constantly comes back to. And she's making that shift, which is not a small shift. It is seismic yeah (laughs) it's seismic and she wants to eventually be a a personal empowerment leader really on on a spiritual level and the most important part of that is like what we talked about earlier about are you going to be congruent with it she's really taking her time and making this change she's not you know just jumping in she's she's doing in a very very methodical way which is her nature right so she's what she's really doing first is she's changing herself. And she said, she said, we talked every two weeks, and she told me tonight, she said, you know, I was aware of every negative thought that I had and in the past two weeks. I was able to be aware of it and then get myself back. And I said, you know, the truth is, is that you have now, since that's your truth and you've kind of made this, this, this inner peace, this core emotion— You've earned the right to be a leader. You've earned the right to be the spiritual leader that you've set yourself out to be. Great point. She has earned, I do believe that she's she's earned that Mm. right to do that. And she can Mm. congruently now lead people. And she's not ready to do that just yet, but she's got the base for it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, most people, their their feelings and thoughts are kind of like runaway trains and, you know, multiple runaway trains, really, because they they don't even have the ability to track most of it. Sure. Uh, because they don't believe they have the ability sure. to do it, and they haven't done anything to gain the ability to do it. Right. And like you said, and, their environments don't support it either. And your environment's going to be a reflection of the inside, too. Yeah. So, and if your thoughts are runaway trains, and they're going in all different directions, and there's not that alignment, then, again, getting back to a practical level, what's that going to result in? It's going to result in a lack of effectiveness, which is going to show itself in your life, that your career is not going to be the way that you want it to be. You're not going to be as effective in your career. You're not going to make the kind of money. Your relationships are going to have that lack of alignment in your relationship, right? Your health is not going to be the way. It's going to show up in very, very, very practical ways. So even though we're talking about really big picture philosophical things here, implementing it is as practical as you can get in terms of being effective.
I've taught a lot of personal development courses, and they've been other people's materials. And I, and I've, and I've very much enjoyed doing that, right? And I've taught some of my own classes that I designed before, like I designed a goal-setting class before that, you know, was, was really awesome to be able to, like, come up with an idea and then see it and see it work. But more than anything, I feel like this class represents me. <laughs> this, this class represents who I am and, like, what I believe in. Because it is about saying, okay, let's take ultimate charge of your life and let's delve into the most important questions there are. Let's really do that and, and let's make it real. So I feel like this class really is an expression of who I am. So, and, and that is extraordinarily fulfilling mm. to be in front of a class and see people making changes on something that I created that really expresses who I am. So the reason that I'm bringing this up is I'm issuing you an invitation if you'd be willing to take this up to say, okay, what is it that is going to express who I am? And what can I create or bring into the world that I look at and I say, this represents who I am? So at the end of your life that you don't think, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, that I did express fully who I really am. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day. Authenticity.